guess you ain't from around here, yeah I guess you ain't from around here, yeah Look at what we did in the past year, yeah A lot of green like a pasture A lot of busted like a pastor Yeah, enjoy it while I'm still here I've been on the up and disappeared like the rapture No mad raps in the cheap short I'm just shopping in my Sears I ain't no soothsayer Just a truth seeker, boo tweaker Might just make a meal while I'm getting meeker just make a meal while I'm getting meeker Do I sound clear? Can you hear the soothing timbre in your ear? Look at what we did in the past year Yeah, look at what we did in the- What's up everybody? Welcome to Ebbs and Flow That's Esoteric Bible Study for the Love of Wisdom I am Danny Naki Dan And I am here with the homie Nomad What's up Nomad? Hey, hey, good to be here Morgan and Joshua I can't, I couldn't make it. I don't know. Joshua was in my A and Morgan said uh, she was probably not going to make it or it might show up later. So I did send the invite to them. So we may see them and they may not. But today, uh, last week, uh, Nomad had brought up the Epic of Gilgamesh a little bit. So as we go through, we're going to go through read chapter eight of the Bible. Uh, from Genesis, and it goes into some things to do with Noah and whatnot. And there's actually an interesting text in the Epic of Gilgamesh that connects this too. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and Genesis 8. Uh, Nomad, you got anything to say before we get started here? No, man, let's jump in. Let's go then. Genesis 8. All right, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And God remembereth Noah and every living thing and all the cattle which are with him in the ark, and God causeth a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subside. And closed are the fountains of the deep and the network of the heavens, and restrained is the shower from the heavens. And turned back do the waters from the, off the earth, going on and returning. And the waters are lacking at the end of a hundred and fifty days. And the ark resteth in the seventh month, in the seventeenth day of the month, on mountains of Ararat. And the waters have been going and becoming lacking till the tenth month, in the tenth month, on the first of the month, appeared the heads of the mountains. And it cometh to pass at the end of forty days that Noah openeth the window of the ark which he made. And he sendeth forth the raven. And it goeth out, going out and turning back till the drying of the waters from off the earth. And he sendeth forth the dove from him to see whether the waters have been lightened from off the face of the ground. And the dove hath not found rest for the sole of her foot, and she turneth back unto him unto the ark, for waters are on the face of all the earth. And he putteth out his hand, and taketh her, and bringeth her in unto him, unto the ark. And he stayeth yet other seven days, and addeth to the seventh, addeth to send forth the dove from the ark. And the dove cometh in unto him at even time, and lo, an olive leaf torn off in her mouth. And Noah knoweth that the waters have been lightened from off the earth. And he stayeth yet other seven days, and sendeth forth the dove, and it added not to turn back unto him any more. And it cometh to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, in the first of the month, the waters have been dried from off the earth. 
And Noah turneth aside the covering of the ark, and looketh, and lo, the face of the ground hath been dried. And in the second month, in the seventh and twentieth day of the month, the earth hath become dry. And God speaketh unto Noah, saying, Go out from the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons and thy sons' wives, with thee. Every living thing that is with thee of all flesh among fowl and among cattle and among every creeping thing which is creeping on the earth, bring out with thee. And they have teemed in the earth and been fruitful and have multiplied on the earth. And Noah goeth out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every fowl, every creeping thing on the earth after their families have gone out from the ark. And Noah buildeth an altar to Jehovah, and taketh of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and causeth burnt offerings to ascend on the altar. And Jehovah smelleth the sweet fragrance, and Jehovah saith unto his heart, I continue not to disesteem any more the ground because of man, though the imagination of the heart of man is evil from his youth, and I continue not to smite any more all living as I have done. During all days of the earth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night do not cease. Chapter 8. Excellent. I find that last little line there interesting about... Um, I continue seasons. not to smite any more all living as I have done. Hmm being that um, he's basically saying he's vowing not to harm animals ever again after that. Well, yeah, or humans, right? Mm, yeah, Very interesting. Too, and, yeah. Then, and then also, I think this is sort of the first reference we get to seasons, is it not? At least to mm. your knowledge? Um, perhaps so. I can't I can't recall because seasons like if that word has seasons, been used seasons. yeah that word has been used but it was if you look up the Hebrew it's sort of like that word's not even used in this passage but the word seasons is used usually to reference like an appointed time like uh, ceremonies and mm. things like that um, but here we're getting an actual description of sort of cold and heat right summer and winter day and night so, yeah, I find that interesting because I have sort of theorized that perhaps before the flood, it was all tropical. So, yeah, that stood out to me. I think that's interesting, too. The seas, suns, right? The um, suns of the sea. Uh, also, being that Noah was on an ark with his family, and then after he came out, then there became sea suns, seasons. Uh, because there wasn't any before. Mm. Oh, that is interesting. Sea sons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sons of the sea. Well, they actually say right there too, like winter, uh, cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night do not see. So they're actually saying like, there's a difference now in the weather patterns going on. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. So I know we had talked about sort of the Epic of Gilgamesh and comparing it. Um, what I find interesting about that is 
So in the story of Gilgamesh, we have this character called Utnapishtim, who is mm-hmm. also known as the Immortal Man. And the story is very similar. He's this uh, guy who essentially built a boat and brought two of every animal and uh, and then the water subsided and he was on a mountain. That's like essentially the story in the Epic of Gilgamesh. So we have this Venn diagram again, right? Where we have the story from the Bible and then the Epic of Gilgamesh uh, and they're sort of overlapping. And the Epic of Gilgamesh was found in Nineveh which is northern Iraq, and it was found in 1849, So, and it was supposedly 4,000 years old. So that's just a little bit of history behind that. One thing that I found interesting, though, is Utnapishtim, also known as the Immortal Man. So in the Epic of Gilgamesh, he is sent out, he's seeking immortality, and he's told, he, he, he goes to the end of the world, and he finds this, like, he, this bar, essentially, and this character, I'm trying to remember the priest's name. Or the gar- I think it was Siduri. Is that it? The Ur-Shinabi. goddess that was like the bartender. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then Siduri tells uh, Gilgamesh that essentially he needs to go find Utnapishtim because he's known as the immortal man. And so mm-hmm. Utnapishtim, the immortal man, a.k.a. Noah... I think perhaps why he was known as the immortal man is because people used to live a lot longer and he was the only, like his family were the only survivors from that period. Right. And so if you have these, these societies that are after that, that perhaps are not from before the deluge, then he might seem like an immortal man, right? Because he was living longer than everybody else. And so I just Mm -hmm. find that a fascinating sort of connection between these two texts. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too because uh, he says like how he basically wants to find him because he wants to find out how he as a mortal got granted immortality by the gods. And then uh, once he finds Utnapishtim, he asks him to tell him how he was able to have immortality. And Utnapishtim basically tells him this Noah story where he got like to a very kind, he built a big ship and uh before the flood happened and then uh basically kind of saying that like the reason why i was granted immortality was uh because i saved humanity and that's kind of how i took it but it does say that it kind of it's left open-ended and he doesn't tell you exactly how he got immortality it's just kind of left open to gilgamesh to figure it out but then when gilgamesh is leaving he does tell him, like, well, there is this plant at the bottom of the fresh water, and if you go and get that plant, you can have immortality. But I also think that he told him that because he realized that Gilgamesh was completely wiped out from his journey. He was like, if you have done all these things, if you slayed the Humbaba and you slayed the Bull of Heaven, why why do you look so sad and full of sorrow like you should be more happy that you have done all these accomplishments and he's like well all of these accomplishments have basically brought me nothing in return and then he goes on to say like uh, you know i basically he just wants his immortality he wants to be able to live forever so uh he tells him about Utnapishtim tells him about the plant. He goes underwater, retrieves the plant, but doesn't eat it. 
gets back up to shore and passes out and a snake comes and steals his plant, his magic plant, and um, leaves its shedding skin behind, and that's how he knows that a serpent took it or a snake took it. Yeah. Right, and I think if I'm if I remember correctly, before that part, uh, he also gives him another method, which is uh, if he can conquer sleep, the gods may grant him immortality. Oh, yeah. And he passed out. And so, and he passed out. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was also interesting, like, because you do get in this sort of weird state when you're up for a long time. I don't know if you've ever, like, stayed mm -hmm. up for multiple days, but, like, it becomes, like, psychoactive in a way. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Like, what ha what happens when you actually stay up? Does something happen where you get in touch with your spirit and perhaps you can like deconnect from your body and therefore you're sort of immortal. I don't know. Well, the whole story of like the Epic of Gilgamesh is very interesting. It, it's almost like a shamanic journey. That's it totally how I is. See yeah. Uh, Cause in Cause the beginning, off... yeah, he's viral. He's like, he's guy a wedding stays up for days. <laughs> he stays up for days on end with no sleep. But then by the end of it, he's just like so out of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't why don't we go through it a little bit? The shamanic journey that he goes on. So like the story is he sort of it starts out. He's like this wedding crasher character who's sleeping with the brides before their mm -hmm. husband can essentially. And then uh, isn't it Aruru? Are am I saying that right? Uh, Sure. It's a is that a goddess, I think, and she creates or he creates, I can't remember exactly, uh, a yeah. rival for Gilgamesh called Enkidu. Right. And which then, is interesting. Uh they yeah, yeah they go to her and say, like uh, the gods go to her uh because Gilgamesh is running rampant and they uh, so, uh the the people protest to the gods, like we need something to keep this guy at bay. He's defiling all our women and everything. And then you, fi you find out later that the gods are telling him to do this, which is weird. But then also they like tell uh, that person like, oh, you were the great, cre you created um, uh, humans before. So can you create like, a can you create something to rival Gilgamesh? And she creates this Enkidu. She has a dream, sees a vision of him, and then she creates him. Which is interesting later because then it's like they had to civilize Enkidu by him having uh, relations with Shamat, who is this high priestess of like a Ishtar temple, and she has to go to him, and then they have right. sexual relations for six days and seven nights, which is six days and seven nights thing they say multiple times in the whole story. I think even at the end, it's like another six day and seven night thing, but it's a, uh, yeah. It's, so like Enkidu lived outside the city walls where it says the, an the wild animals and evil spirits prowled. And mm -hmm. then, like you said, the priestess of Ishtar seduced Enkidu and he was rejected by the wild animals and evil spirits. And then yeah. therefore ventured into the city where he sort of ends up clashing with Gilgamesh and they end up warring and fighting. 
and Gilgamesh ends up winning and then they become friends and they sort of go on this shamanic journey together is that's kind of how I remember mm-hmm. it yeah um and they go it's, and then it's like, like you, they... you brought up Humbaba right they go to Baba yeah. to slay Humbaba the creature with a thousand faces they uh it says they traveled a thousand days and something nights or something like that and they set up camp and then at the camp uh Gilgamesh gave something to Enkidu to be able to have this dream vision. And so it says that Enkidu dreamed and he had the vision of Humbaba and he got scared and he seems very scared and he doesn't want to do it. And then Gilgamesh did the same thing and uh, Gilgamesh took something and had a dream vision and then he saw the bowl of heaven. And so both of these happen before each of those journeys but um like enkidu's happened first and then they defeated the bull or the, the humbaba the lion of the cedar forest then right. gilgamesh had his dream version vision and then they he had they had to fight the bull of heaven so Right, and it wasn't the bull because Ishtar took a romantic interest in Gilgamesh, and Gilgamesh yeah. refused her advances because she was sort of known for like, like killing, like when she yeah. lost interest, like essentially getting rid of them, right? Like a black so Gilgamesh widow. refused, yeah. right? And then Ishtar unleashed the bull of heaven on Uruk, to, which was the city uh, that Gilgamesh uh-huh. was in, um, to destroy crops and kill people, and so Gilgamesh and Enkidu slay the bull. Uh, and then and then the gods kill Enkidu, right? Yeah. And then so Enkidu enters the underworld. They they and then kill... that's why that's why Gilgamesh. Sorry, that's why Gilgamesh goes on his trip for immortality because he was like scared of what happened to Enkidu. Right. Yeah. He uh he lost like his his best buddy. Uh. Right. And so that brought him like great sorrow, and he just wandered around aimlessly for a long period of time and didn't define how long but it just said he wandered around in the wilderness for he a tra- while he traveled through the the scorpion people and the gemstone trees those <laughs> yeah. that stood out to me it was like some interesting imagery i thought yeah i thought that was interesting too because it even said like the scorpion man asked his scorpion wife if uh, he should let him pass or something. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. He has a scorpion wife. (laughs) Yeah, like, what was that? Was that just the people that were known? Like, that was their symbol? Or was that an actual, like, scorpion-type beat? Yeah, very interesting. But Humbaba is the lion of the cedar forest, and they end up killing Humbaba. But Humbaba begs for his uh, life to Enkidu and Gilgamesh and says like, Hey, I am, you know, I am the the king of the forest. I was put here by the gods to protect it. Like you of all people, Enkidu of being from the forest, you should know that like, I, I am here to protect the forest. Like, please do not slay me. And they slay him anyways. Uh, so uh, it goes on to the next, shamanic journey which was uh the bowl of heaven and uh that whole thing with um ishtar 
and she sends it after them and they slay the bull heaven so now they have killed two of god's creatures or monsters or however you want to put it protectors and uh so now they're in trouble deep uh, right and so he ends up going on this journey to the ends of the world like we talked about and yeah we already covered all that but that's where we sort of get the overlap and i believe of the story of noah and i believe that the epic of gilgamesh is one of the oldest actual texts that we have uh is that right, right to your knowledge yeah. from my knowledge and so yeah. it's just oldest poems yeah and so it's just interesting that again it's like it could be something that was sort of like we've talked about, like a fan fiction meant to sort of, you know, fill in the gaps of some of the stories that weren't there. Or it was this actual story from this other place in Nineveh. Um, and it's essentially like you're you're seeing the other side. Right. So like we see the Hebrew text that's talking about you know, Noah and his family. And then we see sort of this other side of the coin, if you will, in Nineveh, where we have these, the story of Gilgamesh and, and it's referencing Noah, the immortal man. And so if you were people that were not in that area and you were like a newer species or something, it wasn't from the pre-Diluvian age. Well, that would make sense why he was an immortal man because he's living a lot longer than everybody else. And so, again, yeah. it's just like, that's what I love about this show. We're seeing the sort of Venn diagram where these things sort of uh, can kind of uh, collaborate, what's the uh, like bring together the stories mm -hmm. and, and show where they overlap. And it kind of gives more credence to it, in my opinion, because we're seeing different regions that are talking about very similar stories. Very similar, yes. Uh, I thought it was interesting, too, uh, in the audible book that i listened to about it at the end of the story they kind of went through each little part and kind of talked about it and gave like a synopsis on it you know and one of the interesting things was like they're saying like it was very much like a hero's journey mm -hmm. but it, in this one it was like interesting because usually you slay the dragon and you get well-known or you became a legend and that's what you're supposed to do but in this one they slay humbaba and the bull and the gods punish enkidu for doing that right that's his punishment is that he has to die now a mortal death because he killed the monsters and so it's it's very well, interesting yeah. that he had to you know die and they chose enkidu instead of choosing gilgamesh which they could have very easily done but i think it was because uh enkidu was immortal and gilgamesh was two-thirds god so they went for the mortal man enkidu was mortal yeah because he was from the forest he was a wilder wild mm, beast okay. person interesting which is interesting because she created him to be a wild beast and to be civilized <laughs> and still right but also to essentially balance out gilgamesh yeah. right and so that is what ends up taking gilgamesh on this journey because he sort of 
when he has that encounter with Enkidu, then all of a sudden they become friends and they start uh, drawing their attention elsewhere to like actually fighting these these beasts right and so mm -hmm. he goes from being just like lustful selfish character to trying to actually like take out these beasts um and like go on a quest for wisdom and for you know immortality and all of this uh but then he ends up sort of at the end like not um like caring is that right like he's he kind of is like accepts his mortality is that right yeah, yeah. i kind of think that he was like even though he got the plant he didn't take it and then he kind of just passed out on the shore where he he could have just ate it right away if he wanted to but i think by that time he realized that like immortality in the sense of living forever wasn't really what he was seeking but ironically in a way he is immortal because now we're talking about him <laughs> right and he be did he become the king of Aruk or was he already? He already was. You know? yeah. He already, he already was. was. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so my interpretation too, kind of of the epic of Gilgamesh, is that yes, it's a like shamanic journey, and it's also a hero's journey. But what is interesting in this hero's journey is usually in the hero's journey, you are trying to like lose your ego uh and and become more human uh become a better person in that way and in this one it seems like gilgamesh is the ego and enkidu is like the human self and uh it's almost like his self gets destroyed and that's why he's so full of sorrow he still has his pride but he's lost his humanity hmm yeah, that's interesting. Uh, did you notice any sort of like astrological weaves in the story? Because it seems like we have like the bull. I know oh, there's the lion, the lion of the ground that's mentioned. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember if there was, I mean, you have like scorpion the scorpion creature or, or the scorpion. Yeah. Yep. You had the snake. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so we really do have like all of the astrological signs <laughs> in here, it seems like. And Noah almost could be looked at as like the water bearer, maybe, or like Yeah. Aquarius. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh there's the lion, which is Humbaba, so but he had many faces. So that's right. Well, even at the very end, I had it here. Let me see if I can find. So this is towards the end. Let me see a good starting port. Uh, for whom have my arms labored, Urshanabi? For whom has my heart's blood roiled? I have not secured any good deed for myself, but done a good deed for the lion of the ground. Now the high waters are coursing 20 leagues distant as I was opening the conduit. I turned my equipment over into it. What can I find to serve as a marker for me? I will turn back from the journey by sea and leave the boat by the shore. At 20 leagues, they broke for some good or for some food. At 30 leagues, they stopped for the night. They arrived in Uruk Haven. Gilgamesh said to Urshanabi, the ferryman, go up Urshanabi onto the wall of Uruk and walk around. Examine its foundation, inspect its brickwork thoroughly is not even the core of the brick structure of kiln fired brick and did not the seven sages themselves lay out this plan 
one league city, one league palm gardens, one league lowlands, the open area of the Ishtar temple, three leagues and the open area of Aruk it encloses. So that's like the end of Gilgamesh of the mm-hmm. epic. Um, yeah. Do you know much about the seven sages? Um, somewhat, yeah. I mean, they're basically like the fallen angels in a way, uh, because they're the ones that teach mankind like um, the different things. Same as like what the fallen angels taught them, you know, about astrology, about science, about math and writing which is all uh biblically it's uh taught by the fallen angels but like in the pagan sense that they, they were considered sages so right and again this is found in nineveh right and we know that nineveh was sort of uh like jonah was sent to nineveh to essentially you know preach to them so again it's like the it's the other side of the coin versus like the hebrew text that we're used mm-hmm. to and so that's probably also why a lot of these things seem almost inverted or like uh the story seems because there's probably a different mentality that they had yeah well i mean it's still interesting that he sees utnapishtim though right i mean and this guy tells him about a flood that he was a part of and even like the story in the flood that utnapishtim describes is like very like close to what Noah describes of how he sent out the dove and he sent out the raven. And then even afterwards, he like, uh, he, uh, he burned, he put up basically like a sacrifice to the gods um, to say thank you. And uh, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, it says they all came down and like, like, busted basically after the smell of the meat uh so that that was kind of interesting too and then he said that it described how he put the ark together with pitch and with tar and plugged all the holes and the oils and put all the oils in the seams and the tar in the seams to to strengthen the boat and sealed up all the holes and all of these things and then after they were done him and uh some workers that he had they all sat and drank a beer uh and then at that time is when the flood happened right right after they completed it and the people that were helping boot and the pitch them work on the boat had no idea that there was going to be a flood and that's why they're helping them build it uh and as they were having their beer um the flood happened and all these workers ran to the walls and uh, they they couldn't be saved, and uh, everybody else was already on the ship. Right. Uh, do you know if there's any connection, like with Enkidu and Enki? Enki? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there probably is. Right. I mean, it talks uh, a bit about Enlil in here too, and there's even another part in in the book where it says that like. Um, en- Enlil wanted to. Uh, Enlil is the one that wanted to flood. Um, all the humans, and everything off the face of the earth, and it was 
Enki who came to Utnapishtim to tell him to build the ark and to save humanity. And it was even to the dismay of Enlil, like Enlil was not happy about it after the fact, after he had found out, but later after they had all the waters had subsided and they saw that um, there was some some leftovers that survived they were they had changed their mind because when they saw everything get wiped out by the flood they all weeped in heaven and cried and so when they realized that there was a survivor and some some things had survived they were actually happy in a way so he he kind of had some remorse there and they did as well as the hmm. other gods Interesting. And yeah, I was just looking here, kind of just scrolling through the Epic of Gilgamesh, and there's this part where it says, let me see if I can find it. Foremost among the gods was the Supreme Triad, which comprised the sky god Anu, remote in his celestial palace, the more important Enlil, who presided over the affairs of the gods and men from his temple on earth, and the clever Ea, who lived in his freshwater ocean beneath the earth. Uh, I just thought that was interesting because, first of all, we have the triad, which is three, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the trinity almost, uh, kind of seeing a similar who, motif. And then the... Go ahead. Okay, I was going to say who are the three, but it was Anu, Enlil, and Enki, or Ea. Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah. Enlil... Uh, Anu and Ea, yeah, and but in Ea, who lived in the freshwater ocean beneath the earth. So we've talked sort of about the waters above and the waters below, mm-hmm. and I've sort of theorized that I think that the waters outside of our existence are freshwater because it makes sense that the salt water would be like the mixing of the earth and the freshwater because you get the minerals. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that was just like another like clue and maybe evidence of that being the case so i just thought that was interesting the fresh waters are the outside waters like outside of the planet yeah so like the primordial if you Uh, will like um like so the god separated um god put the expanse to separate the waters above from the waters below right and so Mm -hmm. for me i was just theorizing like is the water above and water below fresh water or salt water we've had this talk on this podcast i think yeah yeah so i i thought it was fresh water and to me this is sort of giving credence to that because i was thinking that the fresh water was the water that's in the earth and the salt water is what's on the earth but you're so it's a little bit slightly different you're going more maybe semantic this way way. i don't know I don't know how far it goes, right? Like, I don't know how far the earth goes within. So perhaps in the deep depths of the earth, it is fresh water and that's what the expanse is. Or there's a bubble and there's more yeah. air between it. I don't I don't know exactly, yeah. but well, it essentially did say right below there us that, is fresh that water. EA, EA's home of the Absu was below the earth, right? Or right. You know what it yeah. said? So Yeah, so technically that wouldn't be in the earth, I guess, you know. So the but the fresh water, the springs come up from below the earth, and then we have some that mix and we get salt water, I guess. I'm not sure. Maybe above us is different water. I guess yeah. that you know, we don't know that for sure. Celestial so, water. 
Yeah, but we do know that the rain, I guess, is fresh water, so it's probably safe. Well, I don't know. It could be could be a mix. Maybe the water that was let from above was salt water, and that's where we get the ocean. <laughs> you know, we don't. Yeah. We're taking a lot of guesses here, but I think I have <laughs> taken one step closer towards believing that the water below us was fresh water, at the very least. Yeah, I often think of uh, when it talks about the Absu. I think of that as antarctica and uh because it often describes inky as going to the tip of africa and to the absu almost as if there was some way for him to get to this absu from the bottom tip of africa so it's like uh, if you look at some of the older maps like Part of Antarctica is not too far away from the tip of Africa. So maybe at that time is a little bit easier to get there. Um, and then considering all the, you know, mythology and whatnot with Antarctica, I think it's interesting. Like maybe he had a home in Antarctica and, and Lil had a got a home in the north. And that's where you get like these two mixings of north and south seems very like north wind south hmm. wind type thing going on here you know yeah i was trying to see if i could find the part uh with enki so you're saying that enki was the one who told noah i'm just gonna say noah because it's easier than yeah it pitched him uh, <laughs> uh enki was the one who told noah to build the ark in this right it's epic uh-huh yeah okay yeah it was Enlil that wanted to send the flood um but he had remorse after he saw he, he he was adamant about wiping everything out uh but then after it had happened he realized like what he did was wrong i think that's why it says he'll never send the flood again right and in the in the bible it says he 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 won't flood the earth again with water because i think he was remorseful of what he had done right yeah again seeing that overlap mm -hmm. very cool is there anything else that stood out to you in either the chapter eight or in the epic i feel like we covered a lot I, yeah, I, I think we did cover a lot of it. Um, I, I would recommend that anybody who hasn't heard the Epic of Gilgamesh to uh, either read it yourself or give it a listen on Audible. I think the, the one on Audible is just called Gilgamesh. And uh, the narrator does a really good job. And the author uh, himself says he uses seven different sources of the Epic of Gilgamesh and kind of combines them to create one uh like smooth flow uh because when you look at the actual epic of gilgamesh like i have the penguin classic version and in that version like there's like all kinds of broken up text like you see like a couple lines and then dot 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 and then it like skips to another thing and like you mentioned the bartender lady, what her name was in, in this online version that I have that I was reading. It's just dot, dot, dots. It like skips over a whole bunch. It doesn't even have her name in it. And uh, 
So he he kind of puts it all together and makes it read like a nice epic, like it should. And he also says he uses like some of his own like intuition or whatnot to add to the story to give it some more depth. So he is taking some leeway uh, with adding some of these things. Uh, like I think he said he added a speech that Ishtar gave uh, to to Gilgamesh. He added that in, uh, but he thought it was good for the story. Uh, so there is some things that he added. So it's not a hundred percent like the original. So if you want to read the original, I recommend getting like the Penguin Classic, which has like the defragmented whole story where you get all these lines in it, but. If you just want to listen to something, uh, check out the Audible version. Um, but it's a super interesting story. There's so much depth in it. Like, what really boggles me about the story is like the knowledge and like what they knew at that time and how they talked. And whoever wrote this epic was a, a genius. Uh, they really have like the. Uh, had a way of like really pulling you in and um like pulling at your emotions even like remove this is like three and a half thousand years old so like even to this day to hear it you're still like wow it's like there's so much like that you can pull from these this story and this journey uh that's really deep, man. It's it's just a super deep story. Um, totally, yeah, and that's what I love about the Bible. You know, it's people have a lot to say about its authenticity, and you know, King James and all of this. But like, if you really read it and you really dig into it, there's so much knowledge, and I know yeah. it's helped me just learn how to traverse this realm um, a lot better. So it's hard for me to say that you know the people behind it had malicious intent or whatever because there's so much knowledge that's actually helpful you know and so perhaps there was some some shystiness involved at some levels of it but like there's still so much good in it that it's hard to just kind of say you know uh the whole thing's just scrap it right because like if you read proverbs like it's just it's just all like just like good advice it's just it's not even like that spiritual it's just like mm -hmm this is what you should do to be successful kind of thing. So hmm. yeah, man, I love digging into these ancient texts. They, they hold up They're classics for real. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that I will, uh, I'll ask you this question. Cause I had this thought is, uh, when the guy was narrating at the end and, and kind of going over the story and putting his two cents in, he kind of said like, this is a Epic. It's a story. Uh, like, he says he doubts like any of this actually ever happened uh that it was just a story about gilgamesh kind of on his uh hero's journey with this shamanic stuff added in like maybe he never even left Iraq, and he just had these visions and these dreams and uh you know this idea of gilgamesh being the ego and uh Enkidu being the self, uh, your human self, uh, because Gilgamesh is two thirds God and one third human, and then 
Enkidu is two thirds animal and a third human. So it's like this opposite of self. And he's wrestling with that, you know, throughout the whole thing. So almost like, like a fight club scenario here, right? Like <laughs> he's mm-hmm. kind of wrestling with himself and his own subconsciousness. It's not even like necessarily like a real character in Kidu. Uh, and so some of these things could have been taking uh, out of context. So what's interesting about that is you have the story at the end with Utnapishtim and the Noah story. So if it was taken out of context, uh, it was just supposed to be a story though what does that do for the authenticity of the noah story because seemingly it's almost like a lot of the stuff in this gilgamesh story of the noah part is like spot on with what the bible says right and that's where again i would have to do a lot more thorough research into figuring out what's like was the story of Noah derived from this text or because I think we've found like other texts, you know, in different regions that are where we get the story of Noah. And so if that's the case, then you're actually seeing in my mind something that actually happened because you're having these different stories in different uh, areas that are sort of they're they're like totally different. They just happen to reference each other. Right. And so to me, that's like giving credence to it. And there seemingly is a lot of evidence. I don't I don't have the evidence, but people seem to think that Gilgamesh did exist, like he was an actual king of Uruk. So so again, yeah, he could just have been a real person who had this shamanic journey. Right. I, I've said I've taken a lot of trips without leaving the couch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like it, it could have been something like that. But again, you're having like these similar stories um, in different areas that are kind of saying the same thing. So I don't know. I tend to think that there was some sort of uh, realness to it. Now, how much of that is real and how much of it is mixed in with, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. with fairy tales or whatever. I don't know. But uh, regardless, it does help us think, you know, and so it's definitely a yeah interesting story and one that is beneficial I would say, but you have like so many, so many carvings and things of like these very specific beings, like these creatures and stuff, like engraved in walls. And so it's like, yeah, maybe they were like tripping and they were seeing these entities in like another realm or something, or they were actually seeing them or they're just all making it up, you know, but yeah, it it does seem like they're so specific and we have like these statues and these engravings of these creatures. So like at some point, I think people were seeing them, whether it was in another realm or in this realm. That's um, just my two cents. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I do know that like in like Egypt and stuff, how they had like animal heads on their gods and whatnot they didn't actually look like that in person uh they use that as like a symbolic uh reference to their animalistic nature of that god so it was more yeah. of like a representation and even in like some of the norse pagan mythology and stuff like that like though that there were thunder gods or sky gods or whatever they they knew that it was mostly like an archetype to represent whatever that thing that they were trying to project, not necessarily that they were that. 
So, and I know that that's a theory, but do what do you, why do you think that <laughs> is like, why do you think that's for sure? You know what I'm saying? Like, why couldn't have, there have been these hybrid entities? And here's why I asked, because it says as in the days of Noah, so it will be right. Mm-hmm. And we're getting the, it's like a crazy push for like normalizing these hybrid entities. Like all of the kids shows are all like talking animals and like hybrids and stuff. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. They're trying to get us ready, in my opinion, for something. They're already starting to do genetic manipulation. They're already mixing stuff in the things that they poke us with. Like, I don't know, man. I don't it could it could have been could have been. I could see that. I could see what you mean with that, but at the same time, it's like a lot of these deities, they have all the rest of their body is human form except for the head. Um then that part's animalistic so how how would you be able to create like just the animal head of something with a human body it seems like it would be more of robots a combination yeah well i mean maybe possibly that too but uh you see a lot in these like different shamanic cultures how they have like these headdresses and whatnot and they're they're kind of pulling in this energy of that deity or whatnot i think that's kind of what it was it was like the ritual headdress or the the embodiment of that character uh so i i think that's kind of how they were using it but like i yeah like i said last week when i got on my soapbox about the flood um but basically like you could have these cooperating stories uh and there could be many differences but what i think was happening is they were recollecting a time when these things were like this they were recollecting when there was a flood so they're having this memory of a flood that had happened in prehistory they might not have all the details of it themselves so they're all kind of making up their own stories or they're pulling from other people's stories to tell you about the flood. I think that's why in Genesis is kind of like, it's, it's not very detailed. It's just to tell you that there was a flood. Some people survived and the survivors of these people are who this book is about. Yeah. One of the things I find interesting about the depictions of like the animal headed beings is they're oftentimes right next to, people that are just normal people too and so i guess maybe those people are just not not gods uh, not well so what does that mean like so the only the people who are channeling these animal spirits are the gods only the only the ones with the animal heads or headdresses are the archetypes yeah and the rest are uh normal people because you'll have like these blue entities right that are like looking Mm -hmm. like the leaders essentially and then you'll also have the like animal headed beings around them and you'll have like normal looking people so yeah i I think the blue was uh like a a form of like divinity and then uh, the the animal headed were the archetypes that they were portraying uh that's why they had many hands and like in hindu and stuff like that culture uh, but like even in biblical culture, you have angels with wings. Do you think people actually had wings? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's potential for a lot of weird stuff going on. That's why it was reset. You yeah. know. 
I just listened to Look this like, uh, podcast the other day, and they were talking about the the psychic was talking about how she uh, had visions of an angel in the room, and it had wings, and she could tell that it was an angel. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and then like uh, like halos. Where do we get the story of halos from? Do you know? Yeah, it's the sun. Halos are the sun. Halo, yeah, it's in the name. Okay, Halo. So, so when right? they're depicted with the with the halo, that means what regarding the sun? Sun god. That means they're worship. They're like followers of the sun god. If they had a halo, yeah, that's your theory. Okay, I don't know much about it. I'll have to look into that more. Oh, halo is like Hilo, right? Heliopolis. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a it's a derivative form of the same word, uh, which means sun. So when you have the that type of thing around the crown, it's saying or there it's uh, to show enlightenment. Like uh, the the light okay. is seeping out of the crown, so they have enlightenment. They're enlightened, but it's the sun is Very light, so it's kind of like the same type of concept. You don't have to necessarily say sun worshiper or whatnot, but uh, that enlightenment aspect is there for sure. Right. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> I like that you're cool with that one, but not the sun god part. <laughs> oh no, I'm just, I I'm cool with all of it. Like I I like hearing different opinions. I don't know if I subscribe to it because I haven't done my own research yet. Right, right. It's a interesting theory. Yeah, well, I I think uh, too. Like with the wings, I think that the gods could fly. I think that they did have flying machines. I think they flew in them. And I think, uh, but only the gods had the abilities to travel through the air. Um, you see that with like the flying chariots and stuff like that. That's basically like they're saying there's a flying vehicle, even a ship, uh, a flying ship, a boat to heaven. That's a flying ship in the sky, right? There's a lot of interesting things too with like uh, ships and and cars and and uh how how that works too i I forget some of the words but i was thinking about them the other day uh now i can't (laughs) well i i mean i'm kind of with you on the wings thing because i have encountered entities that were seemingly floating Mm. and if you were to try and depict like the feathered serpent, right? So I saw the serpent entity and it was floating in my room, like Pokemon go style, like you were looking at it. Right. (laughs) And so it was, it was very realistic to me. If you're trying to depict that again, so it looks like it's flying that, you know, maybe you would give it some feathers. So you're saying it's the feathered serpent, it's flying. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm with you. It could have been that like, whether it was in a, and I was seeing this in like a different, it was like, it was like augmented reality. So it was kind of a mix of like, something's being projected to me, essentially. And so if you're, yeah, if you're trying to depict that, maybe you just slap some feathers on it. So they're like, hey, look, it flies like birds, you know, because that's what they knew 
flu. So it could oh, be that for sure. I remember what it is now. Uh, coasting. The word coasting. Like when you coast, uh, when you're coasting, you're like you're just cruising, even cruising, coast right? Coast to coast AM. It looks yeah. like a ship, right? Ships go on a cruise. Yeah. Uh, they used to coast around um, the continents too. They would stay close to the shore because it wasn't in deep waters and they could keep track of where the coastline was and they'd just follow the coastlines around so they they yeah, wouldn't have sense. to go out to deep sea and deal with the crazy waves and they'd coast around uh the continent so i thought that was interesting coasting like coasting down the street and cruising those are definitely yeah that's uh, cool i never thought about that i like that <laughs> yeah well, those are the ones i was thinking about the other day i'm sure there's a lot more uh docking you don't really dock a are but you do nowadays with teslas right yeah if we have ships i mean that's what they call it with ships right you're docking yeah like well, uh docking well, on, on water but also like yeah. spaceships yeah they have docking yeah very interesting <clears throat> um i don't think there's too much more do you want to uh make this a short one yeah, man. I think we call it here and we can hopefully get the crew back to go over Genesis 9 next time. Excellent. Yeah, man. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Appreciate you tuning in. And Nomad, you want to uh, tell them where they can find you out, what you got going on? Anything like that, man? Yeah. You can find all of my information at nomad.art. That's G-N-O-M-A-D dot art. It's my website. I got merch on there. I got music. I got my podcast. Uh, I just did an episode with this man named Chris of Chris and Esther. Uh, and they have a YouTube channel and they go through all these megalithic sites and they like tour them and they show you around. And uh, it was a really fun conversation. So that'll be coming out soon. Excellent, man. Well, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Sorry, everybody out there, the rest of the crew wasn't here, but I think uh, me and Nomad put it down pretty well. So thank you all for listening and uh, see you next week. Love y'all. Peace. Have a good one. Bye. Raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining. It's a celebration. Go and tell the nation. We're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting. I've been stuck in my ways, man. I'm regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining, it's a celebration. Go and tell the nation, we're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting, I've been stuck in my ways, man. I've been stuck in my ways. How many days before it's no longer a face? God keep giving me grace. I'm giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise. Giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise. I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks